I have an unusual subject. I did not expect this subject to uh, impact me quite as strongly as it has. I am uh, probably a little emotional today. Um, I have been kind of soaking myself in this for a little while. And uh, I came into this building today, and of course it's mostly empty. And I have a word from God for our church, even though our church is gathered in so many different places today. My subject is house to house. And I begin with this scripture in Romans, the last chapter. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet the church that is in their house. Now, we are living, obviously, in unprecedented times, and we are navigating uncharted waters. For the first time in our history, democracies like Canada and America and other countries have asked their citizens to forego their right of public assembly in an attempt to stop the advance of a viral pandemic. And questions and concerns are mounting daily. How long will this go on? How bad will it get? When will they find a cure? How will our business community survive this shutdown? And how much longer do we have to basically confine ourselves to our homes? I won't belabor the point because you've been inundated with news reports and statistics and warnings for days. And those are all good questions, admittedly. And we're all hoping for answers sooner rather than later. But for those of us in the Christian community, perhaps we should be asking ourselves a different set of questions. How are we going to learn from this to be more like the underground church that thrives in so many nations without the privilege of meeting together? How can we break out of the walls of our church buildings and actually be the church in our community? How can we be a blessing and not just always be coming to a building or a service to get a blessing? How can we minister to our families and our friends and our neighbors at a time like this? And most importantly, how can we turn our homes into little churches all over this city and all over our towns and villages all over this province and this nation? And finally, how can we grow through this just like the early church did? You see, the word church occurs 18 times in the book of Acts and not one time does it refer to a building. In fact, the word ecclesia is never used in Scripture to refer to a material building. The language the Bible uses of the church could never be applied to a building. The Scripture says things like this, the Lord added to the church. Herod vexed the church. The church was persecuted. Paul saluted the church. The churches had rest. Now we know from the record of Scripture that Jesus was a carpenter, but he most certainly did not mean church buildings when he said, I will build my church. It's only in the traditions of men that people can actually go to church. And yet today, in every freedom-loving nation, church buildings dot the rural lanes and the busy street corners of our towns and cities. Because if we can build arenas for sports and theaters for performance and malls for shopping, you want to believe that we need to build sanctuaries for worshiping God. There is nothing quite like gathering together with God's people in God's presence to hear God's word 
and to sing and to pray and to fellowship and to minister to one another. What a privilege that is. If anything, I hope this current time of what they're calling social distancing, I hope it creates such a deep longing and hunger and appreciation in all of us for the house of God. And I hope it creates an unprecedented desire to be faithful to God's house every time the doors are open in the future. There are nearly 60 one another commands for believers in the New Testament. Serve one another, love one another, exhort one another. We can't even obey those commands without being a committed, faithful member of a local church family. And while we're so very grateful for our online technology today around North America and the world, I've got to tell you that real Christianity is lived up close and in person. You see, the first Christians did not have designated buildings for their meetings. Acts chapter 2 describes them gathering in the outer courts of the temple and in the streets. In the first two centuries in the Roman Empire, as Christianity began to spread rapidly, Christians would often gather in public places. And that attracted unbelievers and also those who had questions. The earliest designated church building known to historians was located on the Euphrates River in Roman Syria. It was actually a large house which was remodeled around A.D. 240 to create a large common area for services and one small secondary room for a baptistry. As Christianity began to spread into other nations, church buildings eventually became commonplace. And by the 11th century, grand cathedrals dotted European cities and smaller parish churches. They sprouted up in towns and villages everywhere. And now today, we're so blessed. We have state-of-the-art facilities that multiply the ministries and the effectiveness of the local congregation. But in the beginning, it was not so. The early church did not own buildings. The word church occurs in the book of Acts 18 times, and not one time does it refer to a building. The word house occurs in the book of Acts 39 times, and most of the time it is describing where the church met and ministered, preached and prayed, sang and worshipped, baptized and evangelized, saw miracles, and sent missionaries. Our current situation would not have stopped the early church because meeting in houses is what they did. And meeting in houses has not stopped hundreds of church planters in North America. And meeting in houses has not stopped our missionaries in communist or Muslim countries where oppressive regimes prohibit Christian gatherings all the time not just when there's a viral pandemic. Now you hear me well. Believe me, I am in full support of gathering together and so much the more as we see the coming of the Lord approaching. And so are all the people I just mentioned, church planners, missionaries, etc. I will never forget being in the country of Malaysia for a meeting a few years ago See, our church had the privilege of sending a couple into China to start a church in the city of Guangzhou. And I had never met most of those believers before. But I had the privilege of being in Malaysia at a conference. And uh, they came over. 
uh, they left China, they came to Malaysia, and we met together, and I got to embrace them and see them, fellowship with them, and be in worship services with them for the very first time. It is burned in my brain and burned in my spirit. Uh, the, the praise team from Tabernacle of Joy was singing, I am free to run. I am free to dance. I am free to live for you. And I watched this. I will never forget it. I watched as that realization hit all of those people at the same time. And they thought, wait a minute, we're not in China anymore. We don't have to be careful and quiet. We don't have to worry about somebody busting in on this service. We can worship. And all of a sudden, they began to dance and spin and run. And it was so beautiful to watch those first generation apostolic people realize the beauty and the benefit of gathering together. So I'm for gathering together. I am for getting together as a church. I was so thrilled to watch them get out from under their government restrictions and meet together with other believers. So I'm definitely not giving ammunition today to lazy people who lay in bed every Sunday because they're worshiping at home. That's ridiculous. But having said that, right now at this time would be a great time to check our version of Christianity. If you falter, in your praying, worshiping, study of the word, giving, witnessing, ministering to others, or living a godly life during this temporary time of isolation, that's a major problem. If you've replaced church attendance during this time with Netflix, that's a serious problem. If you've got your spiritual life on hold, waiting to someday get back to a building to hear one more sermon that you're not really gonna do anything about anyway, that's a significant problem. If you're depending on pastors or Sunday school teachers or youth pastors to make sure your kids live for God, that is one massive problem. You see, even when our buildings are fully operational, we're together at best for a little handful of hours every week. So maybe at this time, coming face to face with our home version of Christianity is actually a very good thing for us right now. The question begs to be asked, and it begs to be answered. How apostolic would your church be if its spiritual depth and power was measured by the spiritual depth and power of your house? Or maybe here's a more positive question. What can God do anyway in a house? Well, I'm glad to take you back to the original church. I'm glad to take you back to the church that didn't have a beautiful sanctuary like we have today. I'm glad to take you back to the beginning. We often read the chapter and we preach, but we put our North American 21st century visuals on top of the passage. We envision a sanctuary or some great meeting place, but so much in the book of Acts happened inside houses like this one. Acts 2 verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. I know we interpret that, well, that must have been God's house. No, that was a house. The upper room was a room in a house. That's where this all got started in a house. Acts 2 and 46, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart 
It continues. It's everywhere in the book of Acts. 542, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You say, yeah, pastor, I just heard you say in the temple. But see, you're thinking temple is their church building. Temple isn't their church building. The temple is not neutral territory for the church. The temple is where the Jews meet. And they don't like this new thing called the apostolic church interfering with their temple ceremonies and rituals. So the temple is actually dangerous territory for the church. It's in the temple when they can. But here's where the church thrived and survived in the first century. It was in every house. It was from house to house. And it continues in Acts 9 verse 11. The Lord said to Ananias, you get up and go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Do you know where the greatest apostle of church history, the greatest missionary of world history. Do you know where he was baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost and received a miracle? It was in a house. God can do unbelievable, incredible, unprecedented, supernatural things in a house. Acts 10 verse 44, we love to preach this because Acts 10 is where the Gentiles come into the church. And if it had not been for the household of Cornelius in Acts 10, none of us would be in the church today. No Gentiles would be part of the church today. But do you understand? God sent Peter to a house of a man who was sincere. God sent Peter to a house where people were hungry. And when Peter yet spake these words, while he's talking to them, not in a church, not in a big public square, not in the temple, but in a house, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Now we have little testimonies here and there throughout our church family of children that have received the Holy Ghost at their bedside or with their mom and dad praying for them in the living room. Don't put off till we get back to this building to pray for your kids. Your little boy or little girl could receive the Holy Ghost in your house. They could receive the Holy Ghost while you're watching online church and praying along with us and singing along with us because God can do great things in a house. Acts chapter 12 verse 12 when he had considered the thing he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is when Peter's thrown in jail and the church gets together. They don't have a building to have a prayer meeting. They get together in a house and they bombard heaven. And while they're praying in a house, Peter is set free from a prison by an angelic intervention and he makes his way to the prayer meeting. I'm telling you, God doesn't just answer prayers in church buildings. God just doesn't answer prayers in crusades. God just doesn't answer prayers that pastor prays. God can answer your prayer in your house wherever you are because God can do incredible things in a house. Acts 16, we read the story of Lydia when she was baptized and her household. She besought the apostles saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And, and, and the writer Luke says, and she constrained us. She wanted to have church in her house. She wanted to have a place where other people could get in touch with the gospel. 
Acts 16, 31. You remember the story of Paul and Silas in that uh, Philippian jail and you remember how God intervened and set them free. And then they met with the jailer. They went to his house that night and here's what they said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Have you ever stopped to think or consider that maybe, just maybe, God sent a bunch of us Christians home to our families that don't come to church, home to our siblings that don't come to church, home to our parents and our spouses and our kids that don't come to church and he's got you there on location right now. Please don't just worship secretly. Please don't just watch it on your phone or your iPad or your TV. Please get uh, serious about God at this time and get in touch with God in your house. We need to have some prayer meetings between some couples. We need to have some prayer meetings between some families and we need need to let God do what only he can do. Acts chapter 18, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all his house. Listen, listen, listen. And when that house had an experience with God, it's just a house. It's not talking about a church building. It's just a house. But when that house got serious about God, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. You know why we've got first and second Corinthians? You know why there was this incredible, powerful church with spiritual gifts operating in Corinth? It's because of this man who came to the Lord with all his house. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. Paul's writing to the elders and he said, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Now Paul, he preached to crowds. We often say with a little bit of humor that Every time Paul went into a city, there was either revival or there was riot, and we kind of chuckle about that. But much more than Paul preached to crowds in the street, much more than Paul went into cities and drew a big following so he could preach, much more often Paul preached from house to house. We read the book of Acts through North American 21st century eyes. We see church services where there were none. We see buildings where really it wasn't the kind of building you're thinking about. We see large gatherings with preachers up at the front at some kind of podium speaking to saints. But if you read the book of Acts, we're fascinated with the big numbers at the beginning. 3,000 here and 5,000 here. But if you read the rest of the book of Acts, so much of the time, it's one-on-one conversations. It's people going into homes. It's people gathering for prayer. It's people explaining the gospel to other people one-on-one in a small group. That is how this got started. Do not tell me that we can't thrive and survive at this time time just because we can't gather in a big building. That's not even close to true. If the early church could thrive, if the early church could survive, you know that we can too. We're the same church. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and we came unto Caesarea. Oh, this got a hold of me this morning. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven deacons and abode with him. Philip was one of the young men 
appointed in Acts chapter 6 to deliver uh, meals to the widow ladies. And God used that young man powerfully because while he was carrying out that fairly menial task, God used him to preach the gospel. And Philip ended up in Samaria and started a revival that was unprecedented. And now years and years later, Philip has daughters, Philip has a wife, Philip has a, a home. And now years later, he ha it's called the house of Philip the evangelist. Philip wasn't just an evangelist when he was traveling to Samaria. Philip wasn't just an evangelist when he was delivering meals to widows. Philip wasn't just an evangelist then. It is the house of Philip the evangelist. He wasn't called an evangelist because he traveled around on an airplane with a briefcase and preached sermons to inspire church people in buildings. He was an evangelist because God gifted him to reach people with the gospel. Here's what I'm just overwhelmed with today. We need some Philips who have a house and in that house there's some evangelism going on because we've got all kinds of family members that aren't serving God. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus kind of kicked you out of the church building for a while so you could get alone with your family and you could talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Because maybe you've been so busy coming here to hear one more sermon from one more pastor that maybe we've forgotten some of the important priorities. Maybe, just maybe, God right now is trying to raise up a house of Philip the Evangelist, a house over here on Main Street and a house over here on Broadway Street and a house over here on Queen Street and a house over here on King Street and God is trying to raise up some people and their house can become a center for evangelism. God can do great things in a house. I amplify that. God can do great things in your house during this time. The early church met in the streets when they could. But the streets could quickly turn into hostile territory. They met in the temple, in the courtyard, when they could. But the temple could quickly turn into hostile territory. So every time they got arrested and persecuted, beaten and jailed, you know where they headed? They headed for the house. That's where they headed. The first prayer meeting in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, it was similar to many of our prayer meetings here at the church tarrying for a move of God's Spirit because that's what Jesus had instructed them to do. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. But please hear me. Once that prayer was answered in that first prayer meeting of the book of Acts, they moved on to something entirely different in the second prayer meeting in the book of Acts. They no longer had to pray for God's power to come because they already had God's power. Do you remember what the first century church prayed for in their second prayer meeting? You know, this is the church that operated under the constant threat of persecution and near extinction for the first few decades. Now, they should have been praying for protection or safety or covering or blessing or provision or, or, or something like we often pray for. If they'd had any sense, that's what they would have prayed for. The second prayer meeting in the book of Acts didn't take place under ideal conditions. It took place right after Peter and John had been released from prison 
with firm instructions, you stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But instead of stopping, they gathered with the elders and the leaders of the church. They reported what had happened and a prayer meeting broke out in a house. Can you remember what they prayed for in the second prayer meeting of the book of Acts? Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Here's what they prayed. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. It's rough out there, Jesus. It's tough out there. The times are unprecedented and scary and frightening. Behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants. Here's what we're praying for, Jesus. Not more power you gave us power. Not more Holy Ghost. There is no more Holy Ghost than the Holy Ghost. Here's what we're praying. That with all boldness, your servants may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed. The place, what place? The house where they were gathered. Not a church building, there were none for another 200 years. Not a church building. When they had prayed, the house where they were assembled together was shaken by the anointing and the power of God and by the prayers of God's people. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with Boldness. Do you get it? Here's what's going on. They prayed for boldness. That's their prayer request. Peter and John still smelled like a stinky jail cell, but they're asking God for more boldness. Boldness is what got them thrown in jail to begin with. Maybe they should have prayed for a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or at least some discernment because it doesn't seem like they're figuring this out very well. Please notice. They are not asking for healing or signs or wonders for themselves. They're asking God to do something powerful through them, not for them. They are totally focused on those outside the walls of their prayer meeting. They're basically praying, oh God, do something that points sinners in our direction. And when you do, we will not get an ego boost or ego strokes, if you'll do something that points sinners in our direction, we will immediately point them in your direction. That is the lesson they learned on the day of Pentecost, that the power they had received was not for them. It was not so they could have nice gatherings. It was not so their pastor could be anointed to preach inspirational talks to them. The power they had received was not for them. It was for others. God's power was only being poured out to make them witnesses. You remember what happened immediately after they received the Holy Ghost in that first prayer meeting? What happened next? Bible study? No. Worship service? No. Prayer meeting? No. Fellowship? No. See, they were doing all those things before the Holy Ghost fell on them. But once God showed up in his power, the church headed to all the houses of Jerusalem. And that's why they prayed for boldness in the second prayer meeting of the first century and in every other prayer meeting after that because you're going to need boldness if you're going to make your house 
a church. The word boldness appears more in the book of Acts than in any other book of the Bible. The word literally means outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, assurance, confidence, publicly, openly. It even means freedom of speech. That's what the Holy Ghost is given for. Do not sit in the corner all buried up in your own little device watching a sermon. For heaven's sake, use this time to be a witness. Use this time to be a prayer warrior. Use this time to talk to your family. Use this time to share with your neighbors. That's what we need to be praying for. So that begs the question, what do you pray for? What does your church pray for? If we're not praying for boldness, I can tell you why we're not. We don't need it. Because we pray for what we need. And that's why so many people, they're so self-focused, so inwardly focused, that every prayer request is something for them or something for their little group or something for their little clique or their little family. We pray for what we need. But the second we decide to get back in the business the church was commissioned for in the first place, we will pray for boldness. Not because we're asked to, not because we're supposed to. We'll pray for boldness because we'll need it to take this gospel to as many homes in this city as we can. We'll need it to make bold changes and to cast bold vision and wrestle with bold questions that require bold answers. Most of all, we need that boldness to be witnesses outside of this building. I'm so grateful for so many of you that are so faithful to this local church when the doors are open and we have service. But I'll tell you what, God's plan for this city is bigger than this sanctuary. God's plan for this church is bigger than the number we can fit in these pews. And so God, in His own sovereign wisdom, has allowed this situation to happen. And right now, there are apostolic Christians, imagine that, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is sequestered in all kinds of homes all around this city. That means miracles can happen in all kinds of homes around this city. That means people can receive the Holy Ghost in all kinds of homes around this city. That means prayer can be made in all kinds of homes around this city. The boldness didn't stop with the book of Acts, by the way. You see it all the way through the New Testament, right up to the last letters written by Paul. Paul begins to write. Paul begins to talk. Paul begins to, to minister and he just can't stop. He continues talking about this boldness. Ephesians chapter 6. Pray for me, he says, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul, you're in prison. Don't you think you could pray for something different? Don't you think you should maybe be praying for angelic deliverance? No, here's what I'm praying for. I'm an ambassador in bonds. I can still have church right here. I can still share the gospel right here. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Don't pray for me to get out of prison. Pray for me to have boldness. He says the same thing to the Philippians. Many of the brethren in the Lord, they wax confident by my bonds. 
and they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul said, I'll tell you what's happening. The devil thought by locking me up in prison, he would strike terror into the hearts of the people of God. That's what he thought. But it backfired big time on Satan and on the domain of hell because when people saw Paul in prison and he didn't stop talking and he didn't stop teaching and he didn't stop preaching and he kept serving God faithfully they began to say if Paul can do that in prison I can do that out here if Paul can worship God in a jail cell I can worship God in my home if Paul can still be faithful to Jesus in prison I can still be faithful to Jesus in my community. The writer of Hebrews says these words, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The book of Acts, everywhere you look, it's houses. Everywhere you look, it's small gatherings. Everywhere you look, It's people getting together. They don't have church buildings. They don't have big outdoor stadiums that they're allowed to gather in. It's house after house after house after house. And the book of Acts even ends in a house. Paul is now under house arrest. He can only meet with the smallest number of people. You talk about a quarantine. No preaching. No crusades, no great crowds for Paul. And meanwhile, Christians are being martyred wholesale in the city of Rome by the emperor Nero, who's on yet another one of his killing sprees. And Paul will soon be included in the killings, beheaded for the name of Jesus. So the book of Acts surely does not end, and they all lived happily ever after but I want to show you something. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. The last two verses of the book of Acts. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and he received all that came in unto him. He can't go anywhere, but when they let a few little people come straggling in, he teaches them and says he preached the kingdom of God and he taught those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No man forbidding him. That's the end of the book of Acts. You know, after Acts 2 and you got 3,000 and then you go a little while later and you got 5,000. Boy, this doesn't seem like a great way to end. You would think that Luke could have come up with something better that would have inspired more faith Then the great apostle who's traveled all over the then known world, now he's confined to a house. He can't preach to crowds. He can't gather with large groups of believers. And yet this is where the book of Acts ends. In the English Bible, the last phrase of the book of Acts is actually four words. No man forbidding him. But in the Greek language, it's not four words, it's one word. Akalutos, a single word, ends the book of Acts. Biblical scholar I. Howard Marshall writes, all the emphasis lies on that last phrase. It's like the entire book of Acts 
comes down and lands on one word. In English, we read, no man forbidding him. In the Greek, one word. And the book of Acts crashes to a halt on one word, akalutos. The word means unhindered, unpreventable, and even unstoppable. It suggests a wide open field of supernatural opportunity. So Luke understands something that we surely need to understand at a time like this. All of the judicial foot dragging that has mired Paul in prison, all of the religious blindness that has caused the Jews to reject their own Messiah, even all the massacres that are filling Rome's arenas with Christian corpses, none of those things were able to hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ or the first century church. And I would be bold enough to add, and neither does a little viral pandemic hinder the move of God's spirit, the gospel of Jesus, or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Because that church in the book of Acts, it was unstoppable. You could fight those Christians, you could persecute them or throw them to the lions, you could burn them at the stake or fill the catacombs up with their bones, but you could not stop them. Despite every circumstance, they were determined to turn their world upside down, and they did. They absolutely changed their world, and we are called to follow in their footsteps. We believe the same gospel. We preach the same message. We have the same commission, but we also have the same Holy Spirit as Peter and Paul and James and John and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and all the rest. We can do what they did. And so in the book of Acts, confined to a house, unstoppable is Luke's last word on the church. You can lock us up in a house that doesn't change the gospel and it doesn't change the power of the Holy Ghost. And so at this time, when we have to preach to cameras in empty buildings and you have to watch on little devices that are used for everything else, the power of God can still straddle this globe. If we can pray in this building, and God can answer prayers for a missionary on the other side of the planet. You want to believe that we can pray right now and God can answer prayer in your house. God can move in your house. I dare you right now, wherever you are watching this, I dare you to stop interacting like with this like some kind of a little YouTube clip on your phone or your iPad. I dare you for one moment to lift up your voice with me and to pray out loud unashamed in the presence of whoever else may be watching in your house. I dare you to be apostolic in your house like you're so bold to be in your church. Let's pray together in the name of Jesus. Lord God I thank you for the privilege of being part of the church. I'm not just part of a religious organization. I'm not just part of a group 
that gathers in a building. I am part of the apostolic church. I am baptized in your name. I am filled with your spirit. Your anointing rests on me. Your power resides in me. Resurrection power is in me. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. And your presence right now wants to move in every house where this message is being seen. I dare the people of God to be as bold in their house as they are when they come here and they walk around this building and they lift their hands in this building. I dare you people of God to reach out for Jesus right now. I know everybody's concerned so I speak healing into the homes of the people of God. Jesus your word says that you'll let none of these diseases impact your people. I pray a healing prayer. I pray a delivering prayer. Jesus but I also pray a baptizing prayer. Let the Holy Ghost fall in our houses today. Let conviction rest in our houses today. Let the miraculous happen in our houses today in the mighty name of Jesus. A name that is not confined to this building. A name that is not confined to the preacher's voice. A name that is not confined to one sermon but a name that is above every other name and every situation. Your name is greater than coronavirus. Your name is greater than cancer. Your name is greater than every disease. Your name is greater than every fear. And so Jesus, allow your people to exalt your name today wherever we happen to be. I give you glory and I give you honor and I give you praise. There is no one like you, Jesus. Jesus, anoint our moms and dads to take those little children in their arms and pray. Jesus, anoint our husbands and wives to pray together. Jesus, anoint our siblings to gather together and pray without shame, without awkwardness, without embarrassment. This is who we are. We're not just the church when we're in this building. We're the church wherever we are. House to house. In the name of Jesus, house to house today. In the name of Jesus, let your spirit flow like a river through our homes to the streets of our city. In Jesus' name I pray. Oh, Rabakela, Lebalosho Sabavokiamaha, Irebo Yesho Sarebakiamaha. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I give you praise, God. I give you praise, God. I give you praise, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, God. We are going to sign off from this online service. But just because we press pause on an online service does not mean that God is finished moving in your house today because you are the church. 
You are stronger and greater and more powerful and more anointed than you've ever thought you were. And God can use this time and use you to do exploits for his kingdom. And I speak that over you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait till tonight at six to log on and pray once more, to log on and feel God once more. Jesus is in your home right now, wherever you are. Let him do a work. Let him do a work. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name.